Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, everybody. It's Bob Vetter here. Before we get started, and just in case you have to get off this podcast early, if you'd like to get underway with your own healing and clear away any energetic blockages, you can get on a free call with me. Go to HealWithBob.com. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here today for session number two with Steve Hill, who shared with us a personal journey, a really fascinating one, that started with his Maori origins uh, and an, an amazing story of healing, of how he had asthma, how he sought a number of different spiritual disciplines, and then this incredible story about how everything came together in this later part of his life. So, Steve Hill, welcome back for part two. Thank you so much, Bob, and it was uh, a pleasure to be a part of part one. And yeah, looking forward to uh, just bringing a bit more insight into, you know, maybe some of the, the, the people that have inspired me uh, through this time. And yeah, hopefully some of that will, you know, give other people insights who are listening in. That is absolutely where we want to go today, Steve. So um, if you can tell us a little bit about some of the most influential figures, the people who really made a difference to you and helped shape your emerging worldview. Mm. So I, I'm going to go right back to, because the zero to seven years are the most formative years of inspiration. And there were, I think there were two things that, like when I look back, you have these memories in your timeline, right? So one of them, as a kid, what do I do? I watch a lot of cartoons. Okay, and of all those cartoons, Roadrunner. I know this sounds weird for a teacher, but if you look at Coyote, what an amazing character. He never gave up, right? And he would try every sing, single thing he could to get that Roadrunner, but he never gave up, right? That determination was very, it actually was inspirational, I realized later. Uh, <laughs> I talk to kids, I work with children, and I talk to kids all the time about Roadrunner cartoon and Coyote. I can't believe you're talking about this. Well, continue, Steve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Coyote was, it was an inspiration because of the creativity as well. If that didn't work, I failed. But you know what? I'm going to try again. I failed. I'm going to try again. It's, he was the true entrepreneur. Uh, so anyway, he was one of them. He was also... A time when I was that age, I remember walking down the halls of a hotel. My grandmother had a hotel, and there was a Native American walking along, and he had his full headdress on, and he had come to New Zealand. This is back in like the 60s. And I looked at this guy, and I'm like, whoa, what's, what's happening here? You know, this little kid seeing this, and, and he was a really lovely guy. I can't remember the conversations, but I just remember this moment. And uh, it kind of related to these other things that I, I talked about earlier. And I, I mentioned in the last podcast about the medium that I've worked with as well. And, um, or sorry, the medium who was a grandfather. 
and that drew me down that spiritual path. Now, the woman who I met, Betty Saunders, she really opened things up for me. And she was a medium. She had been doing this for years and she was very authentic. And I, I learned a lot of things from her that um, during that period of time from psychometry, from hands-on healing, um, doing guided meditations, all these things. And, you know, back then it was even pre the new age era that started to emerge. And, uh, but she had quite a big influence. And as I mentioned last time, she gave me the book Rolling Thunder, which led me down a whole rabbit hole of the Native American teaching. So at that time, I was living in a town that was very white. Okay, there were Māori there, but the Māori, which Māori people are the indigenous people of, of, of New Zealand, even in some cases, they were quite white too. It was that kind of post-settled colonization uh, period of everyone kind of getting on together with still, you know, aspects of racism. But um, I didn't really know much about my own roots until my mother separated from my father and we went... Uh, about four hours, no, it would have been uh, about eight hours drive north of where we lived. And I was taken away from all of my cousins and relatives. And we stayed in this beautiful place in a hotel. And so I was quite privileged in a lot of ways in, in um, a place in the Bay of Islands in the North Island. And the hotel was right on the beach. And it was a place of, uh, originally it was called the Hell Hole of the Pacific. Uh, because all the whalers would go in there and there was grog shops and brothels and, and so it had quite a steep history. And one of the, the parts of it that it was well known for was a flagstaff where one of the, the, the Māori um, uh, leaders at the time um, chopped it down, right? And, and rebel and retaliation against the, the colonization through the white people, the English, especially the English that had come in there. So, but what we had discovered later, which was really interesting, which I'll get to, uh, I'm not going to share that now, uh, but I, being in the hotel, there was a lot of Māori um, women working in the kitchen, a lot of Māori working there. And I started to find my roots again, kind of through them and, and in their different way of of embracing, you know, like me and, and their love. And, and then I love them so much. I, would, I was this young, like 11, 12 year old at the time. And um, so I, I, some of the, the women that were working there, I knew their, their sons. So I used to spend a lot of time at their place. And what happened through that, because if you're a child and you live in a hotel, you never see your parent because it's 24 seven for them. So I almost like I found my parents outside through these older Māori women. And they were like my aunties in a way. And in, in the Māori culture, like a lot of indigenous cultures, we're all looking after each other. You know, your grandfather isn't necessarily blood related. You know, grandfathers are, are the grandfathers, all grandfathers, and same with grandmothers. So uh, I would then start to go out to some of the, um, what they would call, uh, Tangis, a tangi is when someone dies or one of the, the cousins died or something, then you'd go out to a tangi and, 
and it was all done in, in quite a spiritual ceremonial way. And so I started to, I suppose you could say unconsciously, um, be introduced to the way of, of Maori spirituality and ceremony. And, and, I, and I, as a teenager, it is unconscious because really there's a lot of things that a teenager really wants to do rather than worry about all that spiritual ceremonial stuff unless you've got a, a, someone there guiding you through that. But it really did steep my connection with it. And, and it was really from, like I said, a loving, a loving place. But what happened was years later, we found out that my mother's real father uh, who, who was, was actually from that area. She didn't know that. She didn't even know that her father that she thought was her father was her stepdad. And so interesting turn of events, the only two places she had lived were where all her um, whānau, whānau is the word for family, where all her whānau were from. And, and they welcomed her. And then I realized, oh my goodness, all these aunties were actually my aunties. And the, the kids I went to school with were actually my cousins. Uh, so there was, they really welcomed us in. And one of the, my aunties, um, my great aunt, her husband was a Ratana minister. And Ratana was like a, a Maori um, based faith that had emerged that intertwined with with christianity in, in ways so and i remember uh when my uh two boys were born like the first one because we'd been involved in doing a lot of native american stuff we decided before they were born that we would actually uh get a whole lot of different um symbols that we would that we would put intention into for, for their uh, birth, right? And so it might be like, I've got a bit of bloodstone here and I'm gonna put that bit of bloodstone in this little package that we created and that's that, that my son will have strong blood and um, you know, to keep him strong and energized as he grows or, and it might've been um, a feather perhaps that, you know, that he will soar through life. And, and so there was these different things that we put in for each of them. And then in, within Māoridom, there was this ceremony um, of burying the placenta. And usually it was a year later. And I, I didn't know this. And what I did is we thought, we're going to wait a year. And what we're going to do is then we're going to get my uncle, Uncle Eddie, and say, Uncle, can you come and do some karakia or like prayers, okay, for when um, we bury this placenta? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. And so he came along and um, we, we created the ceremony and we put all the, the, the pieces in as we buried the placenta. And, um, and afterwards he said to me, he said, look, I'm really proud of you. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, this used to be our old ways. We used to do this and, and not many people do this anymore. And it was at that time that I realized um, as indigenous and in our connection to the earth, we're all the same in a lot of ways. There are some differences, of course, with environment and cultural and, and costume and things like that. But at its heart, it's that connectedness to everything. And this is one of the things that, um, you know, I, I, I spent some time with Wallace Blackhawk 
And it was very, very similar because he had a talking stick and he would, he would pass that talking stick around in the group. And I'm like, oh my God, I've got to say something. Oh, what am I going to say? And I watched every person as that talking stick come around. I'm like, oh no, I could say that. And oh no. And then it finally got to me and I was like, and then I just spoke from my heart. And that was one of my first learnings about get out of your head and get into your body. But then I also found out they do the same in Māori as well. They have a, a talking stick and they will also pass that around. Whoever's got that stick, they go and stand up the front and they'll talk. So there, there, were, there were these similarities. So even though I wasn't uh, introduced to the spirituality of Māori, it's actually not the spirituality of Māori, it's a spirituality of Indigenous and, and that we, we are one. We are not separate. We're all brothers and sisters. And that was, that was quite an amazing feeling to have that. And, and, and I thank, you know, people like Wallace Blackout and Denise Lynn, who I worked with as well. Um, she used to come to New Zealand quite a lot. She was part Cherokee. And uh, she introduced me to the first Anipi ceremony. And I love that. It was, it was like, wow, now I'm, I'm getting into the ceremony. I can feel it myself because I was at an age where I could. And with Wallace Blackhawk, it was the same. It was an immersion into understanding about the red path and creating the whole, you know, uh, anipi. I like to use anipi rather than sweat. Um, you know, and the intention of every single thing that you did, you know, being conscious, not compulsive, like another... It's inspirational person, Sadhguru, from a, the, the Hindu's perspective, where he says, we've got to learn to be conscious, but we are so often compulsive. And what does that mean? It means taking the time, taking the time, which I'll come to. So anyway, this idea, like I said, of indigenous I, I realized that, wow, this is where my heart is. And it actually has always been because that's my connection to spirituality. When I started reading all these and studying and, and learning with these people, you know what? I could not read a single book about that had the word God in it. Okay. And the reason why was because I had seen and read, I hadn't seen, um, but I had read maybe in a past life, I had read that, what they'd done to indigenous and so many, you know, so much slaughter and all that sort of, and it just put me off in the name of God, you know, I'm like, what? That's not in the name of God. And as the Gnostics, you know, I kind of really in some ways agreed with them and how they saw that um, Christianity was the anti, it was about antichrist because why would you potentially remove people from their connection to spirit um, and, and allow them to go there themselves to put these priests in the way that they couldn't do that. And so they, therefore it became from their perspective, like an enslaving. So they would be, we we're all becoming slaves. So why would you do that if you were a true God? Because ultimately we're all creators and we're, we're in partnership with, with the great um, God to be able to um, do all these things. 
So, so my, my word for God now is an acronym. It's the, the governor of dimensions, uh, which, which is, is maybe a little bit of a, a better way of putting it. <laughs> and it helped me to come to terms with that. So it's, um, so these people, yeah, really did make a difference to how I, how, how I navigated my way through life. And, and as we know, some of us that, when we have traumatic experiences um, and mine, you may have heard of a previous podcast around asthma and things. It's, you've got to be able to have or understand that there's more that, that you can have control. There are ways. And, and it's the big thing. And, and I'll, I'll share this because um, I mentioned dreams that I've had. And, and in some ways, these were some of my biggest teachings too. And like I had, I remember having a dream before I'd even touched plant medicine. And it was actually, I was in a ceremony with Aboriginal and a Native American had come in and they'd passed around this, I was sitting there in a dream and they'd passed around this liquid and I drank it. And then my whole body just came to life. And I looked down at my hands on each side and there was a green glow just, just glowing straight up from it. And my whole uh, it was like a lucid dream, totally. So I'd have these dreams. Uh, but where I'm getting to with the dream thing is that there was one particular dream because I ended up doing plant medicine later. But And it was the Dalai Lama. I'm lying in bed having this dream or just coming into conscious, like the lucid dreaming aspect. And what? What's the Dalai Lama doing next to me in the, in the bed, you know? And he's in this other bed and he reaches his hand across to me. I'm like, okay. So I put my hand out and he touches my hand and my whole body just goes electric. And this is like boom, big white light explodes and I'm, and I'm just part of this light. And it goes on for about, I don't know, in a dream, it was probably a 0.45 of a second, but it seems like a lifetime, you know, like in a dream. And then it, it faded away and I looked back and he was still there. And he said to me, all you need to do is believe. I'm like, wow. And I reflected on that. And, and I see that now in many ways as the source of our creation. When we don't believe it, it doesn't happen. Generally speaking, when we believe it, it will happen. The nocebo placebo effect. Yeah. And, and it's so true. Following Dr. Joe Dispenza's stuff, who is another inspiration uh, for, for what I do, he talks about people having spontaneous remissions. And one of the big things is that they have to believe with all of their whole being that they want to change, that they want to be this person they want to be. And, you know, when we, when we have those niggling thoughts in our head that say, no, that's not going to work for you, what are you even thinking that? All those stories that go on and on that we can't shut down sometimes. They're the ones that are either our best friend or our worst enemy. And, and so we have to come back to that. What do I actually believe? Never mind that voice. What do I believe inside my body, my whole, my whole being? So that kind of gives you a bit of an idea, Bob. Sorry, I'm, I hope I haven't gone over time. Um, but, but in exploring... Uh, some of these people have influenced me and, and my connection with Māori around that. And now I'm, I'm going deeper into that 
um, more and more as I make more connections in the space. Mm. But it's the other interesting thing is the work that I'm doing, they're going, wow, this is interesting work. But it's like, well, it's what doing breath work, right? So when you look at one word in particular, and it's the Maori word for love, it's aroha, aroha. And if I break that, those into two syllables, it's aro and ha. So aro in Maori is, is focus and ha is breath. Now, another word for focus, you could say is intention. What is my intention? So when you put the words together, it means love. So if I am focusing my intention with love, it's amazing what I can create. Beautiful. What, uh, I have a feeling that I know what you mean by this, but I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners what this unified experience of indigeneity means in terms of your experience. How does that play out? What's the, what's the meaning that you attach to that? It's not the color of your skin. It's the color of your spirit. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. Any other takeaway you want to share with us before we close session two? Yeah. So there's a quote that came to me years ago. Uh, Life is our greatest teacher. We just have to learn how to be great students. <laughs> okay. How do we do that? How can, what's, a, what's an example of doing that? So for, for all these people out there who, who are too busy as such, busy, uh, take the time to be present. Book, I, I say book a 10-minute meeting with yourself. You know, put it in your calendar and go, right, okay, here's my 10-minute meeting. Right, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and be conscious somewhere. Maybe it's outside. Maybe it's going for a walk in the park or if you've got bush nearby. And I'm just going to be conscious of everything that's around me, the sounds, using all of my senses and en engaging those senses to be fully present. Initially, you might get a bit distracted, but the more that you do it to be, get into that present moment, if you can't get out of the office, just sit there and, and focus on your breath and find a rhythm in your breath. Maybe it's in, four, out, four. And find a rhythm and just feel into your body and be present in your body. But in some ways, be present because everything around you is a teacher. You know, and I used to think, you know, there's an old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher comes. You know, and you're like, well, oh, no one's come lately. So you're looking for people everywhere. It's like, but it's not always people. Like I said, it could be a cartoon, you know, a cartoon character, but it could be a, a flower outside. It could be a blade of grass even, or the tiniest caterpillar on a blade of grass. It might be, well, in your mind at the time, it's all about metaphor in a lot of ways. You know, our body really at the core of our communication and our unconscious is metaphor. And you see this in, in mental health a lot where when people are saying, I just want to kill that person as an example, they don't really mean they want to kill them. But because they're like maybe under some mental health condition, 
it is interpreted as, oh my God, they want to kill that person. But how many times is someone who's, who's not in that condition, who's a perceivedly normal would say, oh, I'd just love to kill them. But hey, they don't get any, uh, <laughs> they don't get locked up or, or given medications for saying that. So yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. But anyway, be present. The more you're present and connect with the things and yourself and around you, that's the way to go. I love that we started with the teacher, Wild E. Coyote. We went through this whole amazing journey and we got to the end and there doesn't need to be a teacher. The teacher is all the things that are around you. So somehow it, yeah. it all, all seems to come full circle in this beautiful, beautiful narrative that you shared with us. Mm, thank you, Bob. So Steve Hill, thank you for being with us for part two. It was a real pleasure again. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're a very spiritual person who just needs a little help clearing away what's been holding you back through some relatively quick healing techniques, get on my calendar for a free call. Go to healwithbob.com. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.